Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class, deluxe edition, uh, in honor of Rachel Bat Nili. Um, Breakfast in the Class today is uh, dedicated as a Seudat Hoda'a for Rachel Bat Nili, sponsored anonymously. As well, uh, dedicated loving memory of Ra- Rachel or Rachel Silvera, Lilu Nishmat, Rachel Bat Bolisa, sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera. Uh, as well, the week of Cobra was dedicated in loving memory of uh, Sam Isayed, Leilui Nishmat Shalom Ben sponsored by his son Isaac Said. My friends, our parasha this week describes uh, a, a monumental occurrence in the evolution of the Jewish nation, where Avraham Avinu was tested literally to breaking point, where his nisyonot, uh, his challenges, culminate in the story of the Akedah. And Avraham never falters, he never hesitates. He goes all the way, he literally goes the distance, he climbs the tallest mountain, he fords the, uh, the deepest rivers to be able And in Avraham's conquering of his challenges, we find the genetic material to get, that gets passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter, latent in the Jewish personality, an opportunity and a capacity to be able to overcome anything in our service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in the continuity of a Jewish identity and in the pursuance of Am Yisrael's dedication to spiritual excellence. My friends, I want to draw your attention to a couple of words in our parasha. And I think perhaps it speaks to uh, the, the, uh, the occasion of the day. Lot is escaping from the, uh, from the Sedom and Amorah that are about to be destroyed. And in these final moments, Avraham Avinu's merits stand in good stead for his nephew, for Lot. And Lot is being saved. The Malachim come and they ask Lot to quick to join them, Vayit Mahama, quickly come with us. And Lot is hesitating. He doesn't know what he wants to grab. He feels an attachment, a connection to his people. And in those moments, um, they are given one instruction as they run for their lives. And I want to read you that instruction from the angels to, uh, to, his, to, to Lot. Vayomeru <clears throat> Lot od Who else do you have here with you? Who do you love who is close to you? Take your son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and everything that you have needs to leave. This place is going to be destroyed for all of the sins of the place. And they ask for one thing. As you leave, as you leave, run for your life. Don't look back. Fascinating. Run, don't look back. Turn one page in the Chumash and you'll see, you know, there's that uh, thing that the kids have. How it, how it went, how it's going, you know, right? How it went is they get the commandment. But let's see how it's going. As they start leaving, the, everything is being destroyed. It's the last possible moment. They leave Syrian time, okay? Things are already being destroyed around them. And, and in those final moments, as they're running away, Vatabet Ishtom Aharav, and his wife, the Lord's wife, she looks behind, and she becomes a pillar of salt. We don't have enough time to go into 
why specifically she becomes a pillar of salt. Uh, it's a little bit complicated, it's nuanced. It relates back to something that she had done, which made her identify more with the people of Sodom than the people where she was running to. So when she stood on those principles, the principles of denying guests what they need, what they deserve to feel comfortable, so when she looked back over her shoulder, it indicated that that's where her thoughts were, that that's where her heart was, back in San Francisco, back in Sodom. And therefore, But our rabbis tell us something remarkable about this idea. When a person is being saved, when there is catastrophe in your rearview mirror, when a person has gone through some form of deep pain or suffering or anger or bitterness, there is only one resolution, there is only one possibility to move on, to be saved from said disaster, and that is run. Al-Tabit Aharecha. Don't look back. Avraham Avinu, no matter what he goes through, all the suffering, all the difficulty, he could be, we would be well within his, uh, his rights to be a bitter old man. He waited so long to be able to have children. He waited so long, you know, to, moving from place to place. Everywhere he goes, it's another, sto- another story, more drama. His wife gets taken from him on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. In Egypt, in, in, in Pilishtim. Uh, then after they finally have kids, and you know what people on the street are saying? The kids are not his. They, the kids belong to, to Avimelech. What kind of life does this guy have? Okay? How does Abraham survive one challenge after another, after another, after another? He malet al nafshecha. Move forward. Al tabit ma'harecha. In Judaism, a person doesn't live in the past. They don't allow their past to define them, to drag them down. We think back to the heroes of the 19, young 1950s, the survivors of the, wor- of the world's worst hell. And they managed in a short, ma- a short amount of time to be able to institute and to set up the state of Israel. It was made up primarily, the fighters were survivors. You know, you think a person like that, they lick their wounds, they collect, you know, unemployment for the rest of their life because of PTSD. You know, soldiers that come back from Vietnam, that come back from Korea, that come back from Iraq, from fighting in Iraq, come back from Afghanistan. Most of these soldiers, they struggle to get jobs. Do you know this? They have PTSD. They have post-traumatic stress disorder. But Jews, we don't have time for PTSD. Because you know what? After we figure out how to get past one traumatic experience, we're already in the next one. We get exiled from Spain and we move to Portugal. Well, you think we're taking a suntan? They're expelling us from there too. And then from Portugal to Amsterdam. And from Amsterdam further on. The story of the Jewish people has always been one of perpetual survival. And because that is the case, my friends, Al-Tabit Me'acharecha. Don't look behind you. Look forward. Look forward with faith. Don't assume, like we say, you know, every time you hear a, uh, a commercial on the news for a financial product, the last words that you hear after they try and sell you something is, past performance is not indicative of future results. By the way, if ever there's a warning sign not to buy a product, it's the fact that they are obligated by law to say that 
every time they try and sell you something. All right? Past performance is not indicative of future results. If a person lives with pain, if they live with anger, if they live with bitterness, they tell themselves things are bad because they were once bad. Things are going to be bad because they were once bad. But Lot, she becomes a pillar of salt. She can't move. She's stuck, tethered to her past. She hasn't moved an inch since she looked over her shoulder. What a message for each of us. My friends, Avraham Avinu, you know, he does something which is unimaginable in the story of the Akedah. And there are those that ask, what was it that was Avraham's difficulty, specifically with the Akedah, more than any of the others? Obviously, there's the matter of the fact that a person has Rahmanut, they have, they have mercy on their son. It's very difficult to be able to achieve. But our rabbi says something that is a little bit more subtle, a little bit more nuanced, and perhaps more fundamental in the understanding why this is the crown of all the nisyonot. Avram gets told to bring his son Yitzhak as Akedah, to bring him up on top of the mountain. Interesting enough, by the way, God never commands him to kill Yitzhak. He tells him to bring him up. Ha'aleu. And that's exactly what Avraham does. The test was always to see if Avram would even go through the motions getting himself to that place. But what made it so difficult for Avraham was not that God had commanded him to do something. If God himself came to you and whispered in your ear to do something, I mean, I think I would be fairly certain. It would be fairly easy to kind of carry out that commandment. Hashem himself appears to you? Forget about it. Avram's problem was that God himself had already told him something else. God himself had already said, You're going to have children and grandchildren from Yitzhak. Yitzhak had not had children yet. So he had a direct contradiction between God's earlier promise and God's earlier word and God's present word. Which one of these ideas from God should Avraham follow? And therein lied Avraham's great challenge. Because he had the ultimate out. True, it is God who is telling me to do this. But it was also God who told me that I would have children and grandchildren from Yitzhak. My friends, sometimes the greatest challenge in life is not the thing that's most difficult to do. But when we cannot see and when we don't understand with clarity what it is that God wants from us. Sometimes a person is sitting there looking and they don't understand what more could God want. I'm trying to do everything. What do you want from my life? There's an Israeli artist, his name is Hanan Ben-Ari. I don't know if anyone here likes or enjoys Hebrew music. In my opinion, he might be the most talented singer-songwriter in the world, Jewish or otherwise. His lyrics are magnificent. And he has a song, and the, the, the chorus of the song, I, I, it resonates so deeply with me. He literally sings from the depths of his soul, and he sings in Hebrew. Ma ata rotse mi meni. Ma ata rotse mi meni. Ma, ma. What do you want from me? What do you want? You know, I looked back today because I have the sheet sitting in front of me. Rachel Banili. And I have in front of me, as I'm saying the words of the Tehillim, I have all the Tehillim lists of months gone by. Maybe 10 or 15 of them. 
And I just looked back to jog my memory, and Rachel Batnili, your name was on all of those sheets. Every month we come up with another one, and the name is written and again, written and again. What do you want from me? And we wonder in the darkest of times, what does Hashem want? But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And there's always a plan to be able to move forward. And it is only two people like you and your amazing husband who looked forward in every moment, waiting for another appointment, for another opinion, until finally someone comes along. Someone figures it out. Someone understands what the plan is to be able to get this done. It's a remarkable thing that. But hope springs eternal. I was teaching last week a little bit about the idea of and a man came up to me and he said, Rabbi, I've got a story for you about my cousin. My cousin's name is Bara Makakian. He lived in Iran and in 1979 he needed to escape. And many people needed to try and escape and it was literally taking your life in your own hands. So everyone came up with their own plan. Some of us uh, who have parents who grew up in Syria also have these remarkable stories. But everyone came up with another idea. This man sat at home and he grew himself a big bushy beard that made him look like he was one of the Ayatollahs. Okay? He got himself the traditional Muslim garb. He dressed what looked like a very religious, fundamentalist uh, 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 Muslim adherent. And he, got, he booked himself a flight from where he was to the border of Iran where he was going to meet up with people who were going to take him from there into Pakistan. He's praying and praying and praying that no one should notice that he's on this plane, that no one should catch him, that no one should check his papers. He gets on the plane and he sits down and the guy's praying and who comes in onto the plane, sits down right next to him, is a, one of the mullahs, the uh, imams, comes in and sits down in the seat right next to him. 14A, he's in 14B, Yani. And he's got the turban on and he's the leader and who's with him? All of his chassidim. They sit in the row in the front, the row in the middle, the row behind. And he looks at Hashem and he says to Hashem, Dachilak. I grew this beard, I'm wearing these clothes. I have to escape only because I'm a Jew. What more do you want me to go through? I get finally on the plane and you have these guys sit all around me. If the guy asks me one question, I'm not going to know what to do. I'm not going to know what to say. His heart is beating out of his chest. He's trying to seem calm. And the imam sits down and he asks, he makes pleasant conversation, nothing invasive. He doesn't ask them their version of, do you know what this week's parasha is, okay? <laughs> he gets away with it. He's sitting there on the plane, he's praying, he's praying, he's praying. And finally the plane lands and he thinks, Ishtabach Shemo, Baruch Hashem, thank you. But the whole time he's wondering, why is God doing this to him so close to the goal? As they're getting off the plane, he sees there's a long line. He looks ahead and he sees that on either side of the terminal, opposite, there are, um, there are guards and they're going through doing a deep scan on every single person's papers. And he doesn't know what to do because his papers are going to reveal exactly who he is, how his identity doesn't match the clothing that he's wearing. And he's praying and praying and crying and crying because life is over. But as the line progresses, all of a sudden he sees all of the guards the heavily armed guards checking the papers bow their heads in respect for the imam. And the imam walks through with his students and he says, all of these are with me and this is my new friend. 
<laughs> and Mr. Hakakian walks through without anyone even looking at his papers. Al tabit Don't look back. Look forward. Live with faith. Live with emunah. And according to the emunah that a person has, Bore Olam also gives a person the commensurate amount of miraculous assistance. Hashem should bless all of us to live in a world where God's presence is palpable, where we understand what Hashem wants from us, and when we get to see the light of His hand guiding our every step. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.